And then the third thing is, someday we will have to answer to God for what we do with that which He gives us. That's what He says. When we stand at the judgment seat of Christ, we'll answer for every idle word, every idle deed, every idle thought. Everything that's come through our hands, we'll have to answer to Him for what we did with it. You know, I've seen some people that have, God has blessed them in a material way and they, they come to Christ and He's continued to bless them. And then when the time comes when they're struggling, they say, oh, I've got to pay my tithe. And they get their tithe. Got to, mm, got to get that tithe in there. And you know, I always suspect someone if they make $122, if on the Lord's Day they give $12.02 to the Lord's work. Or $12.20. I suspect that, you know. Because that becomes legalism. Well, now, let's see. Uh, well, there's 25 cents, so I can't give a half cent, so I'll wait till next week and give them the other half penny. That's legalism, you see? It's not a, a sense of, he is my source, and I'll always give him the benefit of the doubt. That principle is completely missing. But then when God begins to bless them, and they get bigger and bigger, all of a sudden they say, well, I just had this great income come in, but, <laughs> oh, I know the Lord couldn't expect me to give all that for tithes, surely. And they forget again where it came from. Who opened doors that no man could shut and who shut doors that no man can open? And if you don't believe that, let me assure you from personal testimony, I know it can happen. I cried out to the Lord some years ago and said, Oh God, you know our financial needs were in desperate straits right now and I wasn't in the church at that time. Lord, if you would just open the door for me. If you just open the door, I'll just give myself and I'll witness and I'll do all these things for you. And I did and he did. And I just got into a business with him up there in, uh, up in Minnesota. And they said, how much do you want to make? What's your goal in making money? I wrote down $10,000 a month. <laughs> I thought that'll give me a goal to go at, you know. And I said, now, God, you bless me in this business. And I gave myself to it, and I witnessed, and I testified. And the first month, $10,600 I earned. I thought, man, I shot too low. So I started working harder. And the next month it was 11600 or 300 or something like that. And the next month $9,600. And I said, woo! I was traveling all over the country, you know. And every month when I came back, I found myself thinking, you know, maybe the Lord didn't really call me to preach. Maybe I should just be out witnessing. Well, I can witness everywhere I go and I can just tell everybody about the Lord and in the meetings just give a good testimony, you know. And about the sixth month I was thinking very seriously, you know, Lord, this is really a pretty good calling. And my next month I was supposed to earn 20 some thousand dollars. And you know what happened? God just pulled the plug and the company just went... And it's just like he tapped me on the shoulder and said, the calling of God is without repentance. He allowed me just to get all of our bills paid off, just to get caught up, just to where the next month was going to give me that little cushion, you know, that I was going to sit on. You know what I'm talking about? For Lord, it isn't that I don't trust you. It's just in case a rainy day comes along. And he just pulled the plug. And I thought, well, praise God. I Now I've got enough to pay off my bills. I'll go to Florida and I'll get my real estate license and I'll set up my own church bond company and I'll be all ready to go. And God, don't, don't, I'm not forgetting that I will preach from time to time in evangelism. You know, if you open the door, Lord. Well, I hit Florida. And I'm telling you this because my, I got my eyes off of the most important day. I hit Florida and helped the man unload the truck. 
and I injured my back unloading the truck. I'd just been down for seven weeks up in Minnesota, flat on my back, just before I came. Got down here, and he didn't have enough help, so I was helping him unload the truck. And the next morning, I couldn't get out of bed. I thought, praise God, another week I'll be out of here, and I'll go, and I'll do this and this and that. And I was all ready to go. You know, I thought Florida was the promised land. I lay flat on my back for 13 weeks. I couldn't get up. I couldn't get down. I'd have spasms in the middle of my back, and I laid there thinking, dear God, will I ever walk again? No more than started to get on my feet thinking, now I'll really go to it, you know. And my father-in-law and mother-in-law came to our house that next week, and he had this stroke. The next nine weeks, I was in the hospital with my mother-in-law trying to keep her on an even keel. And now it was getting clear to the end of the year, almost into January. Well, it went into January, and I, I was driving around thinking, well, somehow I should be able to get a bond program started here, something, just, you know, get my feet on the ground and let them see how good I can do this for them. And I saw a sign down here on Lake Mary Boulevard, future site of Calvary Baptist Church. The Lord said, just call that number. And so I thought, here we go. And I called him, and the poor guy says, sorry, we only have $8 in the building fund account. $8. I said, well, it's going to take a little work then, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. He said, we, we've got some kind of discouraging situations. And started talking. He said, will you give me your testimony? I gave him my testimony. He said, hey, brother, would you come and speak for me one Sunday? So I came up here looking for a church. I pulled around the corner and I said, <laughs> oh, well, praise the Lord, we'll go in and just preach for him. Went in and spoke. And they came to the door and said, will you come back? And I'm sharing this with you for one reason. You see, because I know that I began to get covetous. It began to possess me. You know, I had never had in my life, and I remember the one, sun, one month when I got that $11,300 check or whatever it was, I went to the bank and had them put it all in $150 bills, $100 bills and $50 bills, and I came home and spread it out on the bed in front of my wife and said, Honey, isn't this beautiful? Never had that much money at one time in my whole life. And boy, it started burning, you know. Flee these things. That's what he's saying. Now, God was not against me having money. He was against me allowing money to take the place of what he had called me to do. And so you know what the end result was. God placed me in this church for 18 months at $15 a week. And he said, the calling of God is without repentance. And they that preach the gospel shall live by the gospel. And I've come to a place where I've said, Lord, whatever you want, that's what I want. And I still believe that if God wants to, and if I'll keep my heart in the right place, God can still bless me financially in the days ahead. The only thing I have to do is watch where my heart really is. You see, that's why it says flee covetousness, because if you begin to worship money, Oh, it can be taken away in a hurry. Anybody else know that's true? Huh? Then he says, flee youthful lusts. 2 Timothy, the second chapter. 2 Timothy 2, 19 through 22. I'm going to try to quit by 8 o'clock. Lord willing, creek don't rise. If I get time to stop here. Second <laughs> Timothy two, nineteen through twenty two. Let everyone that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. But in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and of silver, but also of wood and of earth, and some to honor and some to dishonor. If a man purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified in meat for the master's use, and prepared unto all every good work. 
What is the next four words? Flee also youthful lusts. We said, first of all, to flee fornication, then flee covetousness. The word says to run away from youthful lusts. But follow righteousness, faith, charity, peace with them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. I was so impressed when I read the biography of Billy Graham. I believe his biography. I don't believe it's an autobiography of Billy Graham some years ago of his life. There came a crucial time in Billy Graham's life on two issues. First of all, he said he went to colleges and seminaries where the Word of God was being questioned from time to time. And he had to determine. The rest of the students were saying, well, you can't really base this. You can't really say that's the Word. You, you, we're not too sure about the authenticity of this portion of the Scripture. And he said he went out into the woods one day and said, God, I have to make a decision. Either the Bible is the Word of God or it's not the Word of God. Either it's all the Word of God or it's not the Word of God at all. And either I've got to have faith in it or just set it aside completely. And as he began to pray, he says, Father, I'm going to make a vow and a commitment to you this day. He said, I want you to know that I will preach the Word as being the Word of God from this day forth with authority and believe you to prove it by the end result of it. Lord, I will preach the whole Bible as the Word of God. Second, Lord, he says, because I'm a young man, I have many, many different things trying to distract me, and one of them is dating young girls. He said, Lord, you know the temptations that are in my life and in the path that I'm walking. He said, Lord, you know how there are many that would want public display of affection and many of them that want me to marry them immediately. And all the, Lord, I make another vow to you. I will vow to you that I will not defile my body in fleshly sin, in physical relationships with any young lady. I will give myself to you until the day comes you show me the right person to marry. Billy Graham made a crucial decision at that time, and I really believe that God has honored that, that double commitment that he made out in the woods that day. What he was actually saying is what Paul talked about running the racer. He said, Lord, I'm going to put my body under. I'm not going to let it have priority in my life. I am going to walk before you. And I don't have to be told that the desires and the lusts of this world are tempting. I have been down that road. I have tried that road. I know that it never satisfies. You always think the next time, if you go a little further, it will satisfy. But I know from personal experience that drinking and smoking and all the rest of it that goes with it, today the drug scene, I'm sure there are plenty here that could tell us the end result of the drug scene. We've seen a lot of them. Mike Warnke was one of them who had gone from 180 pounds down to about 80-some pounds or 90-some pounds. His teeth were rotting out of his mouth. He had a broken needle in his arm and had gangrene in his arm, was dying from an overdose, lost everything. We know the end, road, the end of the road with, with drugs. And as far as immorality is concerned, some people say that's the new morality. No, it's just the old morality that's been given a new coat. Because even as it was in the days of Sodom and Gomorrah, immorality always has existed and sex was not invented with God's back turned and his eyes closed. He invented it and he said it's beautiful and it's perfect, but it's something that must be done at the proper time under proper relationships. Otherwise, God will have to judge those that allow these things to happen in their life. If you want to know the end result of that road, all you have to know is that today epidemic proportion, in epidemic proportions, Venereal disease is sweeping our nation clear down to eight and nine, seven, eight and nine-year-old children in epidemic proportions. I've been told that there are young men in the military services that will never be able to be brought home because they're being kept somewhere in the Pacific. 
because of a strain of venereal disease that is so bad that they aren't even able to cure it. And they don't know what to do about it. And yet today they say, well, as long as it doesn't hurt anyone else, why, it's all right. It's not all right if for no other reason that God says it's wrong. And as Christians, we need to get away from those things, flee those things, have nothing to do with them whatsoever. The world says, oh, you're only young once, just go out and have your thrills. Spread your wild oats. Let me tell you something, if we sow wild oats, you cannot pray for a crop failure. You reap what you sow. It's a law that cannot be broken. I cannot help but remember hearing some of the men coming back from Vietnam about the souvenirs that some of the soldiers would get. And the Vietnamese soon learned, and the, during the Second World War, the Germans soon learned that uh, if they would lay souvenirs like a, 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 an officer's sword somewhere or a special Luger, some special pistol, if they'd lay it somewhere, when an army or one of our men would come into the building and see it, he'd run over and grab it before someone else got it, and so they booby-trapped them. And those things that they so highly treasured and they thought was so wonderful and something that they wanted more than anything else would be the thing that would kill them. When I saw that, I thought that's just exactly what's happening to our young people today. When they see what the world says is beautiful and exciting and something to be desired, it's killing them. And as Christians, we need to preach that these things in God's sight are wrong, and he says, get away from them. I've been in the ministry long enough to have seen many ministers, Christian education directors, missionaries, businessmen, lay workers who have been booby-trapped by this repealed in the area of immorality. Not, oh, several years ago in Minnesota, we talked to a young lady we'd gone to school with, and she was home from the mission field. Her husband had left her because she didn't flee these circumstances on the mission field. You see, missionaries aren't some special breed of cat, somebody that's above reproach and above temptation. Neither are ministers. Neither are Christian laymen and businessmen. We have to know what God's Word says about these things and act accordingly. And if we'll desire with all of our heart to do what God tells us to do, He'll deliver us. If we'll do like Joseph did, leave our cloak behind us if necessary and say, I cannot do this before my God. So many times they've said, why? Why? How did this happen? Whatever made this happen? How did you allow this to happen? The only result is they said, well, I don't know. Once, once it started, we just couldn't seem to stop it. Well, you see, there was the downfall. There was the, the waywardness from God's Word. He says, don't let it get started. Flee it. Lay your ears back. Burn out of there just as fast as you go. Stay away from it. And I would just simply say to young people, make sure when you're ready to go out on a date that there will be no circumstance and no situation that will put you in a bad position where you cannot make a rational decision. Decide ahead of time what God's Word says is for you and what's right for you. Make a covenant with the Lord by His strength that that's exactly the standard that you're going to have as Billy Graham did out there in that field. Lord, I decide now what I will do. I will not defile my body. And then when the occasions arise, begin to arise, and they will, if you're a young person and you're human and you're alive, they will arise, you'll have something to act upon, a decision already to act upon, that you will flee these occasions and get away from the very opportunities that they afford. Don't let them start. I want to just make a statement to you, and I want you to remember it. The path to power with God is the path of purity. Did you hear me? The path of power with God is the path of purity. If you want power with God, keep yourself pure. 
Some people say, Brother Webb, it's too late. I've already been in sin. Start now. Lord, by Your grace from this day forward, I commit my life to a life of purity before You. By Your help and by Your strength and by Your grace, I will not allow sin to reign in my mortal body. Not let me go. I rest my weary soul in thee. I give thee back the life I owe. That in thine ocean depths its flow. May richer, fuller be. O cross, that liftest up my head, I dare not ask to fly from thee. I Life's glory dead And from the ground There blossoms red Life that shall endless be Be 
Corinthians, the ninth chapter, four verses, beginning with verse 24. Again, for some of you that were not here, I want to remind you that I'm speaking on the subject, learning to run, learning how to run. And the Word of God tells us that we should run the fastest kind of running, the fastest type of running. It's called fleeing in the Word of God, which means forgetting everything else. You just want to get out of that situation, whatever it might be. And God tells us the things that we should flee from. Know ye not that they which run in a race run all, but one receiveth the prize. So run that ye may obtain. And everyone that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. I therefore so run... Not as uncertainly, so fight I not as one that beateth the air. But I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means, when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway or be disapproved or be put on a shelf. Then over in Hebrews, the 12th chapter, I want to just read two verses to you. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Father, make the word of God very real, alive, and meaningful to us tonight. Father, you know that I don't just want to be saying words. I ask for the anointing of the Holy Spirit to be very real, that our hearts will hear like we've never heard before and will respond, that we might sense what you're trying to say to us as a body of believers for these last days. In the name of Jesus, minister to us, and we'll praise you for it in Christ's name. Amen. We have talked about this running, and first of all, I said there's a run of anticipation when we come to Jesus. We should always anticipate that He has the answer for us. When we come for salvation, when we come for healing, when we come for deliverance, we should come with a sense of anticipation. Then I said there's the run of separation. And I described to you the several different types of fleeing that the Scripture describes to us. It said, flee fornication. 
in all forms that shouldn't even be mentioned amongst Christians. Flee idolatry, putting anything else before the Lord, any other place, person, place, or thing before the Lord, and His calling on your life is sin. That's idolatry. Anything that comes before the Lord, He says there can be no rivals in our life. He has to be first. Lord of all or not Lord at all. Now, I wish that uh, I had time, but I can't get on that again, but that's something that's heavy on my heart. And then the third thing is to flee youthful lusts. And we need to emphasize to the young people today that God still demands purity in our lives. If we don't have purity, we'll pay a price, a dear price. It cannot be avoided. It's a law that cannot be broken. Then I said it was a run of determination. And in that run of determination, I said there's some decisions we have to make. And the first one is that we have to refuse the handicaps that will defeat us. And I described to you what Paul was talking about when he said, Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us. Anything that handicaps us from being our very best for Jesus Christ must be laid aside as an act of our will. Nowhere does God grab us by the, the scruff of the neck and say, you will do this or you will do that. In each instance, it becomes an act of our will as to whether we'll let Jesus be Lord of our life in that area or not. And each time we make that decision, the scripture says, God honors them that serve him. And if we'll serve him and give him first place in every area of our life, he's promised to bless us for it. And it doesn't have to be sin, I said. It just has to be a weight. Anything that holds us back from doing our very best for Jesus Christ must be set aside. Now, you know, there's some people that instead of worrying about the weights, they just don't run. They just say, well, I'm not going to do anything. I just can't do anything. I'm not worthy of doing anything. I'm just not capable of doing anything. Uh, the Scripture doesn't say give us any position for that at all. Whenever we think we're not doing anything, we're really going backwards. He just said, make sure when you get into this race now that you drop every weight off of you, the old galoshes and the, the lead weights around your ankles that rubbed all the skin off until they're all sore and look like they're ulcerated, get rid of those when you get into the real race. You might be training with those, but get rid of them when you get in the real race and throw off every extra garment so that when you go, the wind doesn't hold you back at all. And then run. And then realize the helps that will advance you was the second thing I said. And the first help that will advance you is to maintain a sense of direction. The scripture says, run with patience. Remember the tortoise and the hare? Who won the race? Are you there? The tortoise, didn't he? Right. He didn't take off fast and slow down and take off and then nap and take off and eat some grass. He just kept plodding along steady. And that's what Paul said. You know, I, I really get concerned sometimes when I, as a pastor, I see some of these people that come in, you know, and they've just got, uh, what do you call it, uh, spiritualitis. They just jumpy all over. Bless God. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. I can hardly wait to get going, you know. And I, I just kind of look at them because I know before long they're going to blow a cylinder. I mean, they use up all their steam blowing their whistle and not enough steam putting it to the wheels to do something. And they're over here and they're out there and they're down here. Oh, bless God, i got a minute. They're just going in every direction. And I get concerned about that type of person because they usually, when it's all said and done, are mostly air. Paul says, don't, don't be up here flying around, you know, all over the place. Get down to earth, get your feet on the ground and run with patience. Set a pattern, set a program, be steadfast. Unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Noah, get to maintain a sense of direction. And then the other one is understand that the course is not easy when it comes to determination. 
I'll tell you, when a fellow goes out for football or swimming or whatever it might be, the first thing they tell him, only the fittest are going to make it. Only the best are going to be on the team. And Jesus, or Paul, was emphasizing the same thing is true in Christian circles. If you're faithful over little things, you go from the minor leagues into the junior leagues, and the junior leagues into the, the next league, and up to the major leagues before long, if you continuously improve and steadfastly press toward the mark. It literally means throwing your shoulder into it and pushing your way through. I know what that's like. I used to play football. It seemed like about every other week, two guys would hit me and want to take each leg and on the way they'd say make a wish you know and I'd go in every direction and I knew I had to watch out if I was going to get through that line I had to hit my shoulder first if they ever got under me they'd throw me end over end and Paul saying that when you get ready to go make sure the course is not easy and be ready for a struggle you know this is almost foreign to what we see in Christian experience today isn't it Christian experience today is people many people wake up in the morning they look outside and say, well, praise God, it looks like it's going to rain sometime today. I might as well uh, just get a little more sleep this morning. I'll be there in spirit, but not in body. I'd hate to get out and get the car all wet because I waxed it yesterday. Well, a lot of people do that. And then somebody will ring on the telephone and say, did you know there's going to be uh, a tennis match down here today? No, I didn't know that. Oh, yes. Well, we'll be right there. Pastor understands, you know, once in a while we have to have a break. Doesn't make any difference whether the pastor understands or not. You see, it's not recognizing the calling of God in our life. Jesus is Lord. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, if you don't do the things I say, he said this morning? If you love me, you keep my commandments. All these messages, for some reason, are all dovetailing. And I, it's an amazing thing how it works out. He says, I press toward the mark of the prize of the high calling of God. A run of determination. Now, tonight I want to talk to you about the fact that it's a run of consolation. I've talked to you about all the hardness and all the persistence and all the rest of it. But to know that we don't have to be discouraged because we have several forms of encouragement as we go along the way. First of all, right there in Hebrews, I read to you that we have the saints that are on our side. He says there, seeing that we're compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. And the Greek under, uh, explanation or the description of this is like a, a grandstand full of people cheering us on. I can remember the difference between our home games and our out-of-town games. Whenever we'd make a good play out of town, we could hear boo and oh, no. But when we were home and our people were there and we made a good game play, boy, the place would just rattle your eardrums, they'd yell so loud. And that was such an encouragement. The next game we'd play, our next play would play all the harder. And that's just what Paul is saying here. Whenever you get discouraged, look back and see all the saints of God that have gone beyond and realize that they're looking down upon the things that are happening in this world and cheering us on in the work of Christ. Sometimes I, I tend to get discouraged. I'm human, I guess. Surprised me, but I guess I'm human. And then I begin to remember how often Beverly's grandfather used to pray for us. Every evening he'd go out on the patio behind his house and he'd sit there sometimes for two hours and he'd just pray and pray and pray and pray and we just knew that he was praying for us and she has a just to realize that granddad is watching what's going on and Beverly's father just recently passed away and he used to always say after he'd had his stroke one day one day he knew he was going to go up and sit in the bleachers and begin to watch and rejoice with the rest of us until Jesus comes 
And that's what Paul's saying. Don't ever think that you're alone. Just read of all the saints in the book of Hebrews, the, the different uh, men of faith and women of faith, and realize that all down through the generations, God's always had his people, and today they're cheering us on, the saints, first of all. Second, he said, it's, we have the word for a run of consolation. We can go to the word and know that all things work together for them who are called of God, to those who are called according to his purpose. All things work together for good. And we have the promises of God's word. When we don't know how to do a certain thing, how to react to a certain situation, we can go to his word. Can you imagine what it must have been like to have lived in the days of the apostle Paul and the disciples? They couldn't pick up the whole scriptures like we can today. They had to get down on their knees and say, oh God, what do we do in this situation? Wasn't that terrible? And then, of course, we have the Holy Spirit and the Lord Jesus Christ today with us. We don't have to say, look what God has gotten me into today. And we don't have to say, oh, God, give me strength today. We simply have to draw on the strength that we have. I shared this illustration with you before. I'll say it again of the man who said, God, give me some more strength. This Kenneth Copeland. He said, Lord, give me more power. I'm going to this meeting. I need more power. And God just stopped him and said, where am I going to get it, son? He said, what do you mean, where am I going to get it? God, I've, I don't know. What do you mean? He said, I found out when God asked me a question, don't try to answer it. Let him answer. It works out much better that way. <laughs> he said, I don't know. What do you mean? He said, son, I've given you the Holy Ghost. I've given you my son. I've given you myself. I've given you all the angels of heaven. They're at your disposal. Where am I going to get any more power than that? And he said, oh, I see, Father. He said, I've already got it. All I have to do is act on that which I already have and believe you for that power. And he says, that's it, son. Now you've got it. You see, so many times we just feel like we're all alone. And Lord, I'm the only one who haven't bowed my knee to Baal. And oh God, hold the fort for I'm coming. I'm holding on, Lord. I got my fingernails just embedded in the edge of the door sill so I won't slip and fall. And Jesus said, that isn't what I told you to do. I told you to go out and stamp on the enemy's ground and be more than victor, more than conqueror through him that loved you. So we're not alone. Basically, it's like I saw on television some time ago where a, a man was teaching young men mountain climbing. He didn't say, there's the mountain, boys. Go hit it. He said, now, come on, watch me. Follow me. And he would climb the mountainside. And he'd show them right where to put his feet and right where to put his hands and right where to drive the stake and went on up to the top. And then he stood up on top with a rope down to the men below him. He said, come on, now I'll help you. There you go. That's the idea. Get your foot in there. And you know, that's just exactly the way the Lord is. He never tells us to go anywhere or do anything, but what, first of all, he goes before us and he gives us the discernment and understanding to know how to do it as we go. Have you found that true? So many times when God's asked me to do something beforehand, I say, oh, that was an interesting truth. And then all of a sudden it hits me, I better be ready because evidently God wants me to use this somewhere. This somewhere. Now, if you haven't experienced that yet, you've got some exciting things ahead of you. Because that's the way the Lord works. To know that when he brings us into an experience, we can just mark it down that he's got a reason for it. When I was in Bible college, the last year, I think it was, they had a man in, in uh, dramatics, in the drama class, drop out of a major part, the key part, star role in the thing. And it was about three weeks before the play or two weeks before the play or something like that, and they didn't know what they are going to do. He said, I'm not going to take that part. It's too hard. And for some reason, they came and said, Joe, would you take this part? And for some reason, I was dumb enough to feel like I was supposed to, and I said, okay. And I thought, what am I doing acting? What am I doing in drama? I'm not going to be in drama. I've never been in a play before. I've never been around plays before. This is, Lord, why in the world am I in this? 
only to find out that a year later when we were called to the ministry out in Englewood, Colorado, I had to direct two three-act full-costumed and lighted and stage-prop plays a year. And so you see, I can stand up as an authority now. I was in a play. And I say, now this is the way you do it. But God allowed me into a situation I had never had any idea of before in order to prepare me for something else. So it's a blessing to know that he leads us and he guides us. We're not alone. And the second thing, we've got a destination in sight. If we can learn this one thing out of this whole message, it'll be sufficient. Paul learned one secret. He said, looking unto Jesus. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of your faith. The writer of the Hebrews said that's the key for a born-again believer, looking unto Jesus. Now, I don't know about anyone else, but I have found out that if I can see the Lord Jesus Christ through his word, you say, brother, how do you see Jesus? In his word. Read the word and he'll reveal himself to you. And then you find out what God wants you to do and you keep the two of them in alignment and get your eyes off the deacons and off the deaconesses and off the, the pastor and off the church members and the nursery workers and the Sunday school teachers and the neighbors and the other people in the church. Get your eyes off of everyone else and look unto Jesus. You've got a good chance of walking out of this life and hearing him say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. And the reason we get in so many messes is because we don't look unto Jesus. We look at sin, we look at sinners, we look at situations, we look at problems, we look at temptations. We get our eyes on possessions, we get our eyes on obsessions, things that just take up all of our time. And then we say, how did we get into this mess? That's how. We quit looking at our true destination. Being with Jesus and being conformed into the likeness of Jesus. That's how people get into their messes. Now, if, you want to, if you're seeing people beginning to get into spiritual problems, just look and see where they've been looking and set it pre where they've been preoccupied with their attention lately. In almost every instance I've ever known of, I could have told you ahead of time that trouble was coming because they get their eyes off of Jesus and they start following off after something else. Like the old boy that had the hunting dog and he was trying to teach it how to hunt coon. And every once in a while, a rabbit would get up and he'd take off after that rabbit. And then he'd sit down. He'd get lost and sit down and start howling until he'd come and get it and bring it back and put it on the coon's trail again. Now, you just watch very closely. When you see people getting into spiritual trouble, inevitably you'll find, basically, it's because they get their eyes off of Jesus. Looking unto Jesus. Well, I used to go to church, and I used to teach a Sunday school class, and I used to be an officer of that church, but brother such and such, if you just knew what he did to me, that preacher, I mean to tell you, one day he got up and he called me a thief. Probably didn't. He probably called him a robber because he wasn't paying his tithe. God says, you've robbed me. He didn't call him a thief. There's a big difference between the two. But he said, he, I wouldn't go back there again because he did thus and such. You see, what he's done is gotten his eyes off of Jesus. And if you're teaching Sunday school class, and if you're counseling other people, just look for that one problem. See where they're looking. Why, do you know, Brother Webb, you've got hypocrites in that church of yours? I can say, I'll bet you don't know half of them. <laughs> but come on in, there's room for one more. <laughs> Praise God. <laughs> yeah. See, they're looking in the wrong direction. And I've always learned something. You have to be smaller than the thing you hide behind. If you're hiding behind a hypocrite or some Sunday school teacher didn't treat you right or preacher didn't teach you right, it just evidence that you're smaller than the thing you're hiding behind. You're looking at the wrong thing, aren't we? 
shouldn't say you, anyone is. We need to keep our eyes on the Lord Jesus Christ and we'd stay out of messes. Paul said if you're going to get preoccupied, get preoccupied with Jesus Christ. Get the determination in your heart that you say, what is his will for me? Lord, show me your will. What do you want me to do? What's my task? What's my gift? What's my ministry? What's your purpose for my life? What's your plan for my life? Where do you want me to go? I come to some young people and I say, what are you going to do for the Lord? What you got planned in the future? Well, what are you aiming at? Well, nothing in particular. What do you think they're going to hit? Nothing in particular. Where are you going next? I don't know. Where are you going? What are you going to do next month? Well, I'm not really sure. Well, have you prayed about it? Well, not much. I begin to wonder. Their buttonholes aren't lining up with their buttons spiritually. Jesus said, I've got a course for you to run. I've got something for you to do. And if you're saved, if you'll ask me, I'll show you what it is. When I went to Bible college, I had no desire to go into the ministry. I didn't want to study. I didn't want to go to college. I walked out of high school and said, boy, so help me, this is the last time I'll ever walk down one of those halls unless I'm running through to get somewhere else. I never want to see a school again. And God called me and led me and almost dragged me to Bible college. And when I got there... I didn't want to study. The first year I majored in ping pong and wrestling, I think it was, and, and, and just messed around and just hated school. I'd sit down and I'd start studying and I'd start itching from head to foot. And those walls just looked like they're closing in on me. And I had one recourse. I'd get down on my knees and say, oh God, I don't know why you called me here, but the only reason I'm here is because you made me come here. Now you must have something for me and you've got to show me what it is. I can't stand it if you don't. You see, he got me in that little cubicle in that men's dormitory. And he said, now you're going to sit there and you're going to until you can sit loose. And once you sit loose, then I'll talk to you. And the first whole year, I went through a struggle and a strain, fussing a few, but I kept saying, God, you've got to show me your will. What are you trying? And really, sometimes I didn't stay quiet enough for him to do it. And the second year when they had revival, the first of the year, God really got a hold of me. And I said, Lord, I've got to know what you want for me. And first of all, he said, I want you to study the Word. And that became my first priority, study the Word while you're there. And I began to study the Word, and it wasn't until my fourth year in school that God called me into the ministry. A definite calling into the ministry. All that time I was saying, God, you've told me that all you want me to do right now is study the Word. All right, I'll study the Word. And I'll work, and I'll do whatever has to be done to get my education now. I don't want to be here, and when the bills would come in and I couldn't pay them, I'd say, okay, Lord, if you don't want me to stay here, I'll be glad to go home. You just say the word, and invariably he'd send another job or something along to keep me in school. Now let me tell you something. If you know you're where God wants you to be, and you're there because he puts you there, now I'm talking about whether it be in school or a job or a, a vocation, or in a home, or in a marriage situation, or whatever it is, if God's put you there, when the things go rough, you get rough, you can go back and say, God, the only reason I'm here is because I asked you if this is where I should be, and you said yes. Now, what have you got for me to learn in this situation? Lord, what's your plan? What do you have for me? Oh, God, give us a longing to be able to hear his voice telling us, this is what I want for you. But Lord, I've already messed up my life. He is one who can completely reset our complications. He can, what is it, restore what the locusts have eaten? 
But if we earnestly seek His heart, seek His face, looking unto Jesus, get your eyes off of people and influences and other forces that would draw our eyes away from Him and say, Lord Jesus, I'm a Christian. I'm a child of God. I know you've got something for me to do. I know you've got somewhere for me to go. I'll be faithful in everything you show me to do day by day. And I know that if I'm faithful over the little things later on, you'll make me faithful over the big things. I wonder what would have happened if I had not been obedient to the Lord when He said, stay where you are. I would have loved to have left college. First of all, if I had not come back my second year and I didn't want to, the Lord just really got after me and circumstances got me back to school the second year. Number one, I would have missed that revival when God really spoke to my heart. And I think there are a lot of Christians today that are missing the very things God has for them because they miss certain services. You know, there may, have, there may have been somebody that should have been here tonight to have heard this message that isn't here tonight and because of it they're going to miss God's best for their life. I really believe that. Some people say, well, I won't go tonight. That may be the night God wanted to speak to your heart or my heart. I've seen that happen time and time again. Well, the next thing I would have missed, I would have missed my partner for life had I not been obedient to the Lord. He sent her all the way from out of the country in Kentucky into the United States. And I found her there. See, when we miss God's best back here, we're going to miss something even better for us later on. And that's why he says, find that, that goal. Set your eyes on one goal and say, Lord, now I'm going to keep my eyes on you. You show me what I should do while I'm walking toward you. And he'll show you. And when he shows you, be obedient to that. And later on, he'll reveal himself to you some more, something else and something more and something more. He called me here. I know that. And he's going to put me through trying times and testing times. And I say, Lord, does that PC mean plow corn or preach Christ sometimes? I, Are you sure this is what you want me to do? Yeah, that's where I want you to be. I say, okay, praise God. We'll go on. And I still believe he's got a body of people that want to do the ministry and be obedient to his word. I believe that. And I believe we're going to see a lot of that this fall in the same proportion which we're dedicated to the calling of God in our lives. I'll tell you, when we begin to look unto Jesus, and we quit, look, quit looking to psychologists and psychiatrists and all these philosophers and those that don't want to do what the Word of God says, we're going to see homes reunited. We're going to see fellowship renewed in families and within the body of Jesus Christ. We're going to see people that have torment in their lives have joy and peace restored to them. Some people look to people to set them free or heal them or deliver them, whatever it is. Only Jesus can do it. And if that's what we want above everything else, we begin to seek the Lord's face on that and determine in our hearts that we're going to be free. And God, I don't care what it takes, I will be free. I will be obedient to you. I'm going to keep my eyes on Jesus. Before long, either He'll do it by Himself or He'll send an instrument in your way so that you can have that which you desire of Him. The scripture says, Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on what? Hmm? Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee. That's right. Who? On the Lord. Amen. Psalm 1, 1 again. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law doth he meditate day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water 
bringeth forth his fruit in his season, his leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall flunk. Prosper, okay. Who? The one that meditates on the Lord, keeps his eyes on the Lord, seeks the promises of the Lord, recognizes that he's not alone. He's not the only one that hasn't bowed his knee to Baal and gets under a juniper tree and says, Oh God, let me die. No one else is serving you. And oh, have a pity me party. You ever heard of those? Yeah, I started to have one last week. Praise God. And I got my eyes on Jesus again, and I learned that that was a secret. That's what Paul learned. It was a secret. He says, I determined to know nothing among you except what? Christ Jesus and Him crucified. Now, Paul was an, uh, in, uh, an intelligent man, a well-learned man. He could have sat down and argued the philosophies and everything else with him, but he said, no, I've determined to know nothing about among you except Christ Jesus and Him crucified. And he went on to say, this is the goal of my life, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering being made conformable unto his death. Now, Paul says, I know all these other things about philosophy and psychology, but they didn't, weren't the answer to my life. There's only one answer, and that's to know him. You know something? If you keep looking to him and you keep asking him for direction and you keep looking into the word to understand and know him better, before long you're going to know him in such a way that... Everywhere you go and everything you do, you're just going to be in a relationship like it was between Jesus and the Father. Jesus said, I don't do anything and I don't say anything except the Father tells me to say it. Like Kenneth Copeland said, man, when I heard that, he said, and I realized I wasn't supposed to say anything until the Holy Spirit told me to say it. Did that ever cut down my conversation? What would happen to us sometime if we'd just quit saying anything unless God said say it? Hmm. Who said blessed quietness? That's what Paul said. Now, typically, when you talk to people today who profess Christianity and confess a commitment to the Lord and say, Lord, Lord, even though they don't obey what he says, they can rattle off to you baseball lineups, Dow Jones averages. They can tell you all about an engine, its stroke, its gap, its displacement, how much oil it holds, how many gears it has, what the ratio is in the gears, and... The rear end, they can tell you about the latest fashions and the latest recipes and who's the latest in office and who's going to win and who's going to lose. But when you talk to them about Jesus, they become deaf-mutes. They say, oh, well, yes, yeah, well, of course, we all, yes, there's all of us, we understand those things. We just, well, who would doubt that? And they become tongue-tied. Why? Because they have ceased looking unto him and learning to know him and making that the center of their life. I read a book one time, and it was called Magnificent Obsession. And it said that's what Jesus has to be to us, our magnificent obsession. For we, have, we see nothing else but Jesus Christ. You say, Brother Webb, you're talking about fanaticism. Yeah, I think that's what it's going to take. When you see some people selling products, and you see other people involved in sports and so forth, you know what they're asking for? Fanaticism. They come to you and they're looking for an opportunity to tell you about it. You can talk about salt. And they'll say, oh, salt. Yes, do you know the other day when I was running, I had to take four salt tablets? They'll get it in there somehow. It's like the preacher that they said all he could preach about was baptism. 
And finally, the congregation just said, oh, I'm so sick and tired of two years of nothing but baptism. We've got to stop this. Let's, let's try a little trick on him. They said, now, Pastor, you're such a, a, a tremendous orator that we feel that we'd like to just to do something next week unusual. We want to find a, a text for you, and we'll put that text up on the pulpit. And when you come to church next Sunday morning, you walk up to the pulpit, and your text will be there, and we want an extemporaneous sermon from you. They thought, surely we'll find something he can't get into baptism on. So they looked back in the Old Testament, and in one of the prophets they found the story about the prophet who had a man chopping wood, and the head of the axe flew off and went down into the water. And they put that verse on the pulpit, and he came up the axe head, the axe head. What would we do if we had an axe? What would we do if we had an axe? He said, do you realize that in many areas when it's wintertime and we have real difficulty finding a place to baptize people, they'll go out with an axe and chop a hole in the ice and baptize people. There are some people that are just totally obsessed with certain things. And we need to get obsessed with Jesus. Amen? You know, I, I feel a <laughs> pulling back. I feel it just, Pastor, that's, that's a lot of cost. That's right. Jesus said, if you're going to follow me, count the cost. It's going to be tremendous. No rivals. No one else first. Me. I'm first. No refusals. When I ask you to do something, you don't say, not so, Lord. You say, yes, Lord. And no retreats. The only armor we have is for the front. And by the way, something that was a real blessing to me not too long ago was, I've always told you that the armor that God's given us is all for the front of us, and we shouldn't flee in battle. But you know, one of the tricks in war is for the enemy to send someone around to the rear and attack you from the rear end. And I found that the word in the Greek, in the Greek, which in the English says re-reward, is actually the word which means rear guard. That he is our re-reward. He's our rear guard. He says, I put armor on you to take care of the battle that you're fighting, but I'll stand behind you in case anyone slips up. We need to be fanatics for Jesus Christ. And uh, when that happens, when Jesus comes first, then it'll be a run of expectation. And that's the final thought I want to bring tonight. Verse 27 there in 1 Corinthians, the ninth chapter, says, I keep my body under, lest after having preached this gospel, I myself become a castaway, or I myself be put on the shelf to be unused. Now, Pete knows what this is about when he works with clay all the time. He, he works, and all of a sudden, he gets it just about finished, and a piece of the clay will give in. And... Beautiful work. I mean, he's worked and worked, and he got it all up into a beautiful shape, and one little piece breaks out, and he tries to fix it a little bit, and he can't. He'll pick it up, and boom! He's put it on a shelf. He can't use it. And Paul says, that's the trouble. He says, I, I'm always constantly aware of the fact that I've got to discipline myself in the walk with Jesus Christ lest I get be, have become marred and be put on the shelf and can't be used for the glory of God. He says there's vessels unto honor. And there's vessels under dishonor. But you know he's saying here that there's some vessels for disuse. They can't be used at all. Because they don't discipline themselves and recognize the high and holy calling of God in their lives. A little bit later on in 1 Timothy, the fourth chapter, maybe you want to turn with me to that. 1 Timothy 4, 7 and 8. Evidently Paul did discipline himself and he was not put on a shelf. 1 Timothy 4, 8. 7 and 8, I'm sorry.
1 Timothy 4, 7 and 8? Oops. Sorry about that. Let's check it here. I'm sorry, 2 Timothy 4, 7 and 8. 2 Timothy 4, 7 and 8. After he said he had feared, lest after having preached this gospel, he become put on the shelf. He said, I have fought a good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. Now, here's the expectation. He said, I've run. I've worked. I've labored. I've fought. Now, here's his expectation. Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day. And not, on, not to me only but to all them that love His appearing. Now, some of you, maybe you've never heard a sermon on the second coming of Jesus Christ, but let me just share with you that He is coming soon. Prophecy tells us, the newspaper tells us, scientists are telling us, world leaders are telling us, He's coming soon. They say there is no answer for the world anymore today. We need one man that can bring all the answers, and they're going to be looking for a one man that will rule the whole world. But I breathe this religious group. Their whole thrust is we need to get rid of all wars. We need one universal ruler and leader in this world today. And many people are guessing who that ruler is going to be. But Paul said that there is going to be, for all them that love his appearing, there will be a crown. Now, I just want to simply say to you that unless he's your magnificent obsession, you can't look forward to his coming. Oh, now, people that are looking for a fire escape policy, they're going to jerk them out of all their problems and leave their debts back here and all their aches and pains. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about those that love Jesus Christ and they long to see Him because they've been looking for Him and they've been studying who He is. They've been looking unto Him and they've learned to know Him and the power of His resurrection, the fellowship of His suffering. They found His purpose for their life and they're running the race and they're fighting the battle. When Jesus comes, it's going to be like... Beverly and I were talking about before we were married, we went together for three years and we got to know each other so well, she said, it's just a case of move over, here I come. And that's what it should be with Christians. Our relationship should be so close and we know each other, know the Lord so well that when He comes, it's just going to be like a natural step stepping out to meet Him. And I just want to tell you that if you love sin, you'll not love His peering. And when you find Christians, people that call themselves Christians that are feeding from the sewer and frequenting the establishments of filth that we're finding growing more and more in the state of Florida, you can't tell me that those people are loving His appearing. And when you find people that won't establish their priorities and put Him first and find their position of service to Jesus Christ and put that first, I want you to know they don't really love His appearing. They're going to be like the ones that Jesus said that He... They're going to be out playing and suddenly the master or the Lord is going to come back and they're going to find that their garments are all tarnished and they're going to be ashamed at His coming. But He said if we really have made Him our magnificent obsession and we really believe He's coming, it's going to be a run of expectation. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. Do we really long for Him to come? If Jesus were to come tonight, I really wonder, would we be really happy or would we stand ashamed before Him? Now, I just want to say, don't, don't use excuses with the Lord when He comes. Lord, I didn't do this because. I would have, but. He said, I've called you. And I've provided all the power that's necessary. I've told you, get your eyes off of your own self and your own weakness and your own failures and your own mistakes and get your eyes on me. I've already paid for all those mistakes and those failures. 
Now, I will empower you if you'll let me. And you can begin to have a run of expectation and know that I am coming again. Get your eyes off these other things. Songwriter said, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in His wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. You say, well, Brother Joe, I'm, I'm fleeing. Believe me, I am. Just like Elijah was before Jezebel. There are times I get so discouraged, I just say, Lord, let me die. Or maybe you say, Lord, Pastor Joe, I'm, I'm fleeing all right like Israel did before Ai because there's sin in the camp and I haven't been willing to judge and deal with that sin in my life. If we try to find the answer to these problems, we find it in the book of Revelation when Jesus said to the church, he said, I just have one thing against you, church, church of Ephesus. You've what? You've left your first love. I haven't got time to elaborate on that tonight. I just want to say that, generally speaking, it's not a sin problem. It's a love problem. When people say I'm too busy, it's a love problem. When people say I'm not equipped, it's a love problem. Because nowhere in the Word does it say that you're equipped. He said, I'll equip you. I can't speak. Who made your mouth? It's a love problem. Do we really, really, really love Jesus tonight? Jesus said, Peter, do you love me? Peter was very careful now. He denied the Lord three times. He said, Lord, you know that you're, I'm your friend. You're my friend. He said, Peter, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know that I'm your friend. Oh, he was so careful. He said, feed my sheep, feed my lambs. Peter, do you love me? Lord, thou knowest all things. Thou knowest that I love you. And in that he was saying, Lord, in spite of the fact that I failed, in spite of the fact that I denied you, in spite of the fact I, I put my mouth in gear before my brain was in gear, in spite of the fact that I've done all these dumb things, still you know down deep inside of me I love you. And I think that's what Jesus is waiting to hear from a lot of us who say, I can't, I can't, I can't, I won't. He's saying, do you love me? If you love me, it takes care of everything. I'll take care of the rest. Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. 1 Thessalonians 5.22 I'm just going to read them. You might want to mark them down. Read them later. Abstain from all appearance of evil. James 4.6-10 God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he'll flee from you. Draw nigh to God and he'll draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinner and pur sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Be afflicted and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy into heaviness. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he shall lift you up. If you say, Brother Webb, I have fallen, Jesus says, I'll lift you up if you'll let me. You say, Brother Webb, I'm very weak. The Lord says, I'll strengthen you if you'll let me. Maybe you're here tonight and say, Brother Webb, I'm not really saved. My life has been controlled by the enemy. I'd encourage you to flee to Jesus tonight. Just fall at his feet and tell him how much you need him to come in and become master of your life. And to the saints, those of you that love the Lord tonight, I just want you to know that Paul says, get your running shoes on because... 
we're pilgrims here, but we're going to run a race. We're going to fight a, a battle. And He'll give us the strength and He'll give us the discernment. And we've got a goal to keep our eyes on, even Jesus Christ. Now, He didn't say that we weren't involved at all. There is an element where we're involved, and that is the act of our will. Will He be Lord of our lives? I still remember that verse that says, Submit yourselves to God. Resist the devil and he'll flee from you. A story that I've never forgotten about two chimpanzee, two female chimpanzees were in a cage in a zoo and each of them had a baby clinging to their stomach. If you're acquainted with how they'll just hang right onto their stomachs and the person in charge of the zoo came by and threw four bananas into the cage. And it's an amazing thing how carefully they make sure, I mean the chimpanzees are very courteous this way, each mama swung down and she would grab a banana and the little baby reached out and grabbed a banana and the other mother swung down grabbed a banana and the baby grabbed a banana. They went back up on the little rod and they were sitting very close together. And the one little baby chimpanzee took that banana, went down with that banana and just, and it was gone. They looked up at the mother and she was still eating hers and looked over at the other mother she was still eating hers. And the other chimpanzee baby was trying to get resituated with his banana over here, trying to get all hooked on right so that he could get free with his, just hold on with his hind feet and get over here to start stripping down a banana. And this baby looked over and saw that one was still there. And just very casually, took it very quickly. That one was just a little bit slow. Took the banana and that little baby looked over at it, started to go for it and stopped and looked up and started screaming and screaming and pointing at that other baby. And that mother chimpanzee turned and she attacked that other mother and started beating that other mother and reached down and grabbed that banana away. And while the mother was up there beating on the other mother chimpanzee, the other little baby was hanging on to his mother and going, whoomph, whoomph, getting its punches in too. And pretty soon they got the banana back and she handed it back to her baby and the baby stripped it down and ate it. When I saw that, I thought, you know, that's just what James is talking about. That little baby submitted itself to the authority of its mother and then resisted the devil and got his way, didn't he? And we can talk all we want to about the devil doing this and the devil doing that. I think we give the devil too much credit sometime. I think we're coming to the place when God is saying we're going to have to stand up, stand tall, be determined that Jesus is going to be Lord of our lives and he's going to become our magnificent obsession and we're going to run that race with patience, steadfastness, regularity, Day in, day out, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. God wants us to learn how to run. Will we do it? If we do it, we can say with the Apostle Paul, I have run the race, I have finished the course. There is therefore laid up for me a crown, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give to me that day, and not only to me, but to the faithful and Calvary Baptist of Lake Mary. I think that's good interpretation, don't you? That's scriptural. All those that love His appearing. Would you really, honestly, like for Jesus to come back tonight? Or would we stand ashamed before Him? I hope that some of you take this tape and share it around the body while I'm gone these two weeks. I'll lock my gate. If you take this series of tapes and hand it to some of the brothers and sisters that we know in the body and tell them it comes with love because this fall I believe God's going to be demanding something of us as a body. We're either going to see the outpouring of the Spirit of God on this body in this testimony by through the commitment of God's people or God may pass us by and start raise up another body in the Lake Mary area.
I believe that. I really believe that. May God help us to be faithful to His calling in our lives. Father, in Jesus' name, we want to run with anticipation. And in order to be pleasing to You, we know we're going to have to run a run of separation. Coming out from the world and being separate, being a different people, a peculiar people, a royal generation. It's going to be a run of determination. We're going to have to lay aside every weight and the sin which besets us. It's going to be a run of anticipation and consolation. Because we know that you've promised that we'll not do anything in your name, but what in this life we'll receive a hundredfold back plus life eternal. We won't give up anything here, but what you'll give it back to us manyfold. Father, I'm asking that you bring to us and put within us a real fanaticism for Jesus Christ and His work. That we will approach the ministry of this body this fall fully expecting with our eyes set on Jesus and not on the preacher or anyone else, our eyes set on Jesus, fully expecting to see the outpouring of the Holy Spirit upon this community in this area. I know you have a ministry for us. Oh, God, help us to put our eyes on you and follow you to see the completion of that ministry in our lives. Wash us and cleanse us and forgive us tonight. I thank you for this body of people. I thank you for these faithful ones that come and listen to the Word. And I know there's so many Christians today that need to hear this message because I thoroughly believe that the Lord Jesus is coming soon. Father, you know when it is. You're the only one that knows, but you told us we'd know the season. And we know the season is upon us. Very soon you're coming. Open our eyes and let the Holy Ghost be poured out and the manifestation of the gifts of the Spirit and the fruit of the Spirit that others can tell that we belong to you because we have love one for another and a love and dedication to you. I ask this in the name of Jesus and for his sake. Amen. You know, I could have an altar call. I could say how many are going to make this commitment, how many are going to make this decision. But I'm more determined, more convinced every day you don't need an altar call. The only thing that counts is what we've told ourselves and what we've said is our, is our determination of what we're going to do. I said it before, I've heard a lot of people blow whistles, but it's those quiet, still water runs, deep water runs quietly, you know. Still water runs deep. And if tonight God has spoken to your heart about your commitment this fall, your commitment today, tomorrow, for Jesus Christ, a steady race with your eyes set on Him, serving Him and obedient to His Word and faithful to the body, if God's spoken to your heart, I want you to confirm that right now to Him. Say, Lord, I've heard you speak to me. You've shown me what you want me to do or you will show me and I will not be satisfied until you show me. But I will be faithful over the little things. Fully confident that you'll make me faithful over the big things. And by your grace, I shall run this race as you'd have me to run it. I shall flee unrighteousness and uncleanness, knowing that the road to power is the road of purity. Can you make that determination in your heart tonight? Lord of all, Lord of all, Christ must be Lord of all. Lord of all or not Lord at all. Christ must be Lord of all. 
Can we sing that together? And when you're singing it, I want you to, if you can, and you mean it in your heart, let's sing it, Lord of all, Lord of all, Christ shall be Lord of all. Lord of all, or not Lord of all, Christ shall be Lord of all. Will you sing that with me tonight that way? If you mean it in your heart. Lord.